starting a new series, and we really sense that this series is a prophetic message to our church, and we're going to be looking for the next four weeks at one verse. We think it's that big of a deal, and uh, it just seems as though as we prayed and thought about the fall, that what would God want us to give our attention to? And we focused on 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And so we're going to be spending a few weeks looking at this. And I'm really excited because I think that God's going to be speaking to us a fresh message on uh, what it means to be his people and to live in the, in the presence of God. Uh, I'm going to begin by setting it up, looking at the two previous verses, and then kind of the first part of uh, chapter, uh, verse 7. But let's, uh, let's jump into verse 5. So this book, 2 Timothy, is written to, uh, to Timothy. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote the book, and he wanted to give a letter to Timothy, who he put in charge of a church that he had started uh, previously. And so this is kind of a letter of encouragement to this guy named Timothy. This is what Paul says. I have, remind, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. So what does Paul value in Tim Timothy? It's this idea of a sincere faith. Now, if you are familiar with Western culture, I think especially here in Vancouver, there is something that's a really big deal for us, and it's called authenticity. And uh, there's nothing more abhorrent if you're... Uh, if you're a Vancouverite, then somebody would, would not be authentic. We want people to, be, to live consistently between what they think and believe and how they live. That idea of authenticity is a really big deal. It's kind of humorous to me sometimes because uh, sometimes people are authentically wrong or authentically self-centered. Uh, but it doesn't seem to matter just so long as you're authentic doing it. But what we find about Timothy is not only is he authentic, but he's authentic about his faith in Jesus Christ. And what he has founded his life on is a belief in the life-saving work of Jesus. So that's outstanding. Then Paul goes on to say this in the next verse, verse 6. For this reason, since you have such a sincere faith, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Now, what is that talking about? Uh, I think that what Paul is saying is use your faith to stir up this gift of God. Now, the word for gift there is uh, charisma, which means the grace of God. It's the empowering presence of God to enable you to love others. So since you have this sincere faith, use this faith to stir up the grace of God in your life that enables you to love others. That's what I'm recommending that you do. Now, Here's a problem, I think, that we might have with that as, uh, well, for sure, as if you call yourself a Christian, as Western Christians, uh, this might be a challenge because here's how I think that we sometimes uh, can think about church and think about God is that uh, it, it, it kind of feels like we get set up for one thing and then it switches halfway through to become something entirely different. So if you become a Christian, what we focus on is that you're going to be loved by God, you're going 
Your heart is going to be transformed. You're going to be made new. You'll feel healed and whole. All really, really great things about what Jesus is going to do for you. And then as, uh, as time goes on, we go, oh, and by the way, there's a couple things that he asks for in return. And so we're going to need you to volunteer in the church. Um, you're going to be in, need to get involved in small groups. And there's kind of is this list that look like obligations that are part two about trusting in God. The first part is all about what you receive, and then the second part is about what you give. Now, the problem with that is that it makes the first part look suspicious. Like, was this whole thing just a setup to get me to do stuff in the church to kind of keep, you know, the religious institution going? And so you, you were kind to me at the front end, but really what was really going on is you needed more volunteers for kids' church. And we need to keep the machine running. And so we give you stuff on the front end so that you have to feel obligated to pay back and to do a bunch of volunteering for us. And it can feel as though there's kind of two sides to this idea of Christianity, the receiving side, but kind of sets us up for what's really going on and that we're really just trying to keep everything running, and we need more people involved in it, and somehow it's going to help our own egos by having a bigger church or something, or whatever it is. Um, in our church, we have this thing called a discipleship path, and it's a way that we help you find and follow Jesus. And so we call it the three E's. So uh, you engage in discovering who God is. Then as you uh, trust in him, you then are established in your faith, that's what Transformations is all about. Really highly recommend you go there. And then uh, after you're establishing your faith, then you are equipped and empowered to go and tell others about Jesus and to keep everything going. And so it kind of sounds like the whole point was to use you. And lots of people are very embittered with the church because they think that they're just being used by some institution to keep it all running. Uh, so verse 7, which is the main verse we're going to be focusing on, helps us understand how these two different parts of Christianity, the receiving and the giving, actually come together in a very beautiful way. Now I'm going to be using a different translation of the Bible. This is uh, for 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, but it's written by a New Testament scholar called Gordon Fee. He was my professor a number of years ago, and I liked how he wrote it, so uh, this is what we're going to be using. If you want to look at your regular thing, you can just go on your phone. Four, uh, for when God gave us his spirit, it was not timidity that we received, but power, love, and self-discipline. So when we receive God's spirit by faith, we don't get a spirit of fear, we get a spirit of, that, that builds in us faith and power and love and discipline. So this idea of timidity, another word for timidity would be fear. Another would be cowardice in battle. That when things get really hard, uh, you just pull away and withdraw. Uh, according to verse 7, it could also be referring to that you just don't tell anybody else about Jesus. You just kind of have a more private faith. It's just between you and God, and you don't uh, let anybody else know about it. But here's the point. If we are timid in loving others, that part B, 
if we're timid in loving others, we actually quench the reality of God's Spirit in our lives. If we, are, uh, if we treat loving others as kind of an optional part B, what we end up happening inside of us is we miss out on experiencing the power and presence of God in our lives. So what this does then is it makes faith and fear opposites. Faith and fear are on opposite ends. That if you uh, kind of obey, as it were, timidity, it's going to take you in a direction that takes you farther and farther away from the reality of God. And as you embrace faith, trusting in him, relying on him, you're going to find that it takes you deeper into his love, deeper into victory over sin, experiencing the power of God in your life, and being blessed as well as being able to bless others. Now, here is my observation. When we struggle to believe in God, to believe that he's real, that he knows us, that we can have a personal relationship with him, that Jesus is the living God, come to set us free from sin, rising again from the dead. If we, if we start to doubt those things and feel as though the foundation of our life is shaken, what we tend to do is pull in. We tend to uh, uh, simplify in an effort to regain control in our life. Um, what we imagine is that fear means that we're out of control. There's too much going on. I can't manage it. I don't know how to relate to a God I can't see. Life isn't making any sense. I pray and he doesn't answer prayers. This is way too complicated. So what I'm going to need to do is I've got to pull in my life and only do what is absolutely necessary. And then if I can feel his his love and, and peace and presence in that place, then I can start to widen out again. Now, I don't know about you, but I do that all the time. I assume that the reason why I'm timid or fearful is there's too much going on. And so I've got I've to restrict my life, get back to the basics, and then build off of that. Here's the problem. Uh, Timidity, fear, further weakens the faith that we have. Timidity, pulling in, being afraid. You've heard of uh, flight and fright. Uh, whoops. Flight? Fight or flight. <laughs> wow, that was hard to get out. So this is it. Yeah, you've heard of it. Well done. Uh, so this is the, uh, this is the flight part. This is, the, this is the pulling away and just getting small. If that's done out of fear, what you're going to find is it's going to build on itself. That the fear that made you kind of recoil and pull in will never be satisfied. And it will actually quench more and more of your faith and trust in Jesus. Timidity never leads to an experience of God. Trust does. Faith does. And so as you make decisions based on fear, you're going to find that your struggles in God are not going to get smaller. They're going to get greater. 
Because what about this? And I never thought of that. Oh, yeah, and this too. And, and pretty soon, nothing makes sense. And so I can't trust you. I can't control you. I don't know who you are. I'm just going to keep making my life only dependent upon me. And I hope that as I do that, I'll be able to regain control, and then maybe I'll think about you again when life gets a little bit easier. And I promise after that to get on with part B, and I'll, and I'll love some other people as well. Don't worry, I'll get along. I'll, I'll get on to that. But what we need to understand is that courageous love, part B, actually helps us as much as it helps others. Uh, let me give you uh, some, uh, some study on this that might be helpful. This guy's name is Johan Hari. I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He did a TED Talk a number of years ago, uh, and it was about Rat Park. If you just type in TED Talk Rat Park, uh, it's amazing. And, and, and what the conclusion of his research was, this is about addictions, and what his conclusion was is that addiction is a symptom of, of, uh, of relational disintegration. And the worst thing that you can do helping somebody get out of addiction is to isolate them. The best thing that you can do is put them inside of a healthy community. Now, what he did is he took that research, took it farther, and looked at the issue of depression. Now, um, the way that depression is, uh, is evaluated according to how severe our depression is, is on a scale of 1 to 51. It's called the Hamilton scale. I don't know why it's 51. It seems random to me. I'm sure they have a good reason. Uh, but 51 is you're suicidal. Zero is you're, you're, you, there's no depression. You're doing great, full of joy. What they discovered is that uh, if you get a better night's sleep, you move six points down the scale. So sleep is pretty helpful. If you get a good night's sleep, you'll feel less depressed the next day. It's good to know. They discovered that in terms of uh, antidepressants, if you take antidepressants, what they have found on average, so it can be better or worse than this, but on average, that will move you down the scale 1.8 points. So that can be very valuable. If you're in a place that's really, uh, that's very intense, those 1.8 points can be a very valuable thing for you. But what they found overriding all of those things, and I wish they had attached a point value to it. I'm sorry that they didn't. I just think it's because it's hard to measure. Is that the most valuable thing that you can do to overcome depression is uh, to be reconnected to relationships. Particularly relationships that have a focus to them. And that if you can get involved in, uh, in some kind of social concern work with another group of people, and help somebody other than yourself, your depression lifts. It's fascinating, isn't it? So what fear wants us to do is to, is to reduce our life, cut out people who are annoying or don't understand us or take a lot of energy or whatever it is, and, and cut away all of those things that are making us anxious and depressed and afraid and, and timid and reduce life, but actually, it actually takes us to a place that makes us worse off than we were originally. 
So what this means is that there's not really a, uh, uh, there doesn't need to be an artificial separation between receiving love and being blessed and being a blessing to others. Those two things are all jumbled up together. And if you listen to timidity, timidity won't do that. Fear will make your life smaller and smaller. Now, I really hope that you hear that. First of all, there's not some agenda in the church that is a setup, you know, part A was a setup for part B to get you to do stuff. The same motivation runs through everything. That the best way that you can feel connected here, the best way to help you experience the life of God is to involve yourself in community. It's why we have D groups. It's why we ask you to volunteer. Now, for sure, it helps the kids if you volunteer for Kids Church. For sure, it's helping them. But it's helping you just as much. Because as you uh, don't submit to your fears, but let your life be shaped by faith and trust in God, it will take you places that fear never will. I concern myself with our culture. What defines our culture these days? Well, we know what it is. We know that it's loneliness. We know that it's anxiety. We know these things. And the grand irony is the way that you get out of that is by uh, no longer being motivated by fear, but being motivated by something much more noble, and it's trust in Jesus Christ. And that's going to take you places out of your fear that's going to get you experiencing the life that you've wanted. And along the way, a whole lot of people are going to be blessed, not just you. So what does uh, courage then look like? If timidity is our enemy, and so what is sincere faith, you know, it's going to move us into relationship and connection and love and these kinds of things. What does it look like? It does not look like courage does not look like bravado. If you're going to go into your workplace and you're no longer going to be timid there, it doesn't look like being big and loud. That's just the fight instead of the flight. It's just, it's driven by the same fear. People who are really loud, I mean, it might be your personality, God bless you. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, people who are really loud can be compensating for their insecurity as much as the timid person is. You don't overcome timidity by being boisterous because I believe they're both driven by fear and insecurity. The way that you, it, you, you are courageous in your workplace, with your friends, at home, is by demonstrating simply this, a sincere faith. So this means that what, when you walk into a moment, you don't listen to timidity. You go, what might Jesus be doing there? And now I, use, I, I fan a flame of anticipation about what God might be doing in my workplace. I'm not motivated by fear anymore. I'm motivated by an expectation of what God's doing here. 
can I please encourage you? Don't manage your fears. Because the more you focus on them, the more they will consume you. And I know that it's true. Instead, we shift our focus off of our fears on to a sincere belief that God is alive and present in this moment, able to do great things by his power and his love. And I get to be a participant in that. I believe this message can transform your life. As your focus shifts off of what you're afraid of and onto what is God doing in this moment. What do I see about him as opposed to what do I see about my fears? I have become quite convinced that the number one problem in your life and mine is we have faith in our fears instead of faith in Jesus. And we believe in their fulfillment. We believe that all that I've ever been afraid of will come true uh, right now. And we look for it, and it somehow becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I feel like, you know, God's behind our fears, and he's jumping up and down, waving his arms. And he's going, hello. You know, I'm over here. And we're so focused on what could go wrong. We're so focused on what's wrong in us and how we're not as confident as we wished we would be. And we, you know, uh, so, you know, I do a fair amount of public speaking. kind of comes with the job. And I'll tell you, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what, I, what I think about. <clears throat> if I'm preparing a sermon and I think about me, I'm lost. I'm just, I feel the anxiety uh, just swallowing me up. I go, Greg, you know, you're not very animated. You're not very outgoing. You can't even say, you know, fight. And I can't even say it. <laughs> That's just, it's become a thing. <clears throat> and, you know, and you, you stumble over your words, and you should, you should be more profound, and uh, you've not worked very hard on honing your Greek and Hebrew lately. And I can just, I just, uh, the more I think about me, I go, oh, yeah, that's really true. Oh, I never even thought of that one. And I just, as I, th as I think about, as I think about me, my world gets super small. And my only way out is not to conquer my fears. That is not my way out. Can you please hear that? Is I should work on, you know, my uh, pronunciation. And then I should work on being more animated. And then I should, I should do even more study because it wasn't enough. It's never enough. All that does is spiral me deeper and deeper into my fears. Here's what gets me out. I think about you and him. And I think about how good he is and how much he loves you. And as I meditate on who he is and what he thinks about you, I'm delivered from my fears accidentally. I'm not even trying to be delivered from my fears. But I don't have time for my fears because I'm thinking about how great he is and what he wants to tell all of you. And now I lose my self-consciousness and now I can be engaged in being your servant. And then in being your servant, I get set free from all of my fears. Yeah. 
It's a two for one deal. I'm not even trying to get set free and I get set free because I'm thinking about you and him. And so here's what troubles me. Sorry. About what sometimes you and I do. We call it therapy. And what is that therapy? It's not all therapy. I am not dissing therapy. I've gone to counseling probably more than you. (laughs) So I'm not dissing it. But I know that there's different kinds. And there's one kind of therapy that sends you down a rabbit hole of introspection that magnifies your fears and makes God very, very small. And that's not helpful. And the way that you get set free is by looking up, not looking in. Timidity is always about looking in. I'm never competent for the moment. Faith is always about looking up. He is always more than capable to do what needs to be done in any given moment. Can you say amen to that? So in conclusion, where are you timid? Where are you timid? For some of you, it's kind of like, where am I not? I get that. I think I fall more in that camp. I can always find a way to be insecure. It's, it's magic, really. Um, so so where, where are you timid? Where are you timid? There's a, there's a, there's a place, I'm not because it's being recorded, I'm not saying it out loud, but there's a place that whenever I think about this place, uh, fear wells up inside of me. I get tongue-tied, I feel insecure, I, I just, I'm managing. Where do you feel timid? <clears throat> when someone asks if you're a Christian or what you believe, does timidity wash over you? Where do you get timid? Let me ask you a follow-up question. What would you do if you weren't afraid? If fear wasn't part of the equation, if fear management wasn't part of the equation, what would you do in that exact moment? If you were just fearless, you just didn't really care about your own performance or whether you're going to be liked or not or whatever it is that you'll be timid about. What would you do if you weren't afraid? As faith guides us, instead of fear, we experience the power, the love, and the self-discipline that we've always longed for. Not because we conquered our fears, it's because we exalted our faith in Jesus Christ. And we fanned that flame. And we focused on that instead of overcoming what's wrong. Uh, uh, William Booth is the founder of the Salvation Army, just an amazing organization that doesn't only uh, uh, have churches, but they also do great humanitarian work. Very impressive. This is what he, uh, this is what he says. The tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. In closing, can I encourage you with two words? Fan faith. Fan faith. Don't fan your timidity. That quenches, that quenches the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Fan faith. In a moment, believe what God wants to do in that moment. Look at what he's doing 
and you'll find your fears will find their rightful place in your heart and you'll be set free to walk in his grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we don't have to be tricky. That we don't have to be really clever in figuring out uh, all that was wrong in our childhood and, and, and remedy all that was uh, all of our insecurities. And I thank you that you never set us up to use us. You never do that. There's never a, a part A and a part B where the first part was just uh, sucking us in so that you could use us for your purposes through and through your love. And so we trust whether we're just resting in your mercy or we're moving in your grace. It's all about setting us free and experiencing your presence in our lives. And so, Father, would you now give us the courage to fan faith, to not listen to our timidity, but to fan faith. And I'm excited to see what you're going to be doing in and through us in this fall as we make that choice.